Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. At Keystone Elder Law, we are a law firm that focuses only on proactive estate planning with asset protection. We guide people through declines in health and other challenges they see along the way to make sure that the plan works, and we administer estates when you lose a loved one. Now, that's what we do, and there's plenty of law firms that that might offer a service like drafting your will, your power of attorney, drafting your trust, uh, much, much fewer uh, will will know how to guide you through a long-term care crisis. Uh, but really what I want to get across here is that there's a why behind all of this. There's a why to the way that we educate clients first. You know, we have webinars, we have in-person seminars. These are going on pretty much every week now. And if you're curious about those educational opportunities, you can go to keystoneelderlaw.com and click on the workshops tab and you'll be able to register for an online webinar. You can take it in from the comfort of your own home. But why do we do that? And why do we draft estate planning with an eye towards protecting families, shielding them from predictable challenges? Well, it's really, really well encapsulated in a book that I read recently. Now, that this is not a new book. It's been out for about, about 10 years, and it was a New York Times bestseller but you don't hear it talked about much anymore, except among elder law attorneys and other professionals working with people who are in the second half of life. And we talk about it with some frequency. But I want to put it on your radar screen because it's fascinating reading and it's thought-provoking. And it really gets to sort of what's going on in our minds as uh, not only at Keystone Elder Law, but anyone working with people in the second half of life the realities that we're up against and the complexities and the nuances and sometimes the very hard decisions that have to be made. The book I'm talking about is called Being Mortal, and it's by a doctor by the name of Atul Gawande. The last name is G-A-W-A-N-D-E. And Dr. Gawande wrote this book uh, as a trained surgeon. He's a guy who all of his training and years of experience we're focused on targeting a specific problem and then going in and mechanically finding a solution. And he would know rather quickly whether that solution was effective or not. But he approaches the years at, at towards the end of life in this book, being mortal. So in, in, and throughout the book, I highly recommend it because he's a skilled storyteller. He talks about members of his own family. He talks about longtime friends and mentors, and he really lets you see what they're going through in the later years of life through their eyes rather than a clinical take from a physician. But, you know, just to set the stage, he wants you to understand that there are problems that develop that he, as a trained surgeon, was just astounded by when he first started facing them, uh, not in his own practice, but by uh, through his family members, through his friends, sitting in on uh, consultations with uh, geriatric physicians and, and their patients. It was a completely different uh, set of challenges. And he points out that 
you know, as recently in human history as 1945, most deaths occurred at home. You know, if you had a heart attack, if you died of cancer, it was it was in your home. And by the 1980s, only 17% of people were dying at home. And this has been a trajectory where, uh, as he describes it, Dr. Gawande in this book, Being Mortal, describes it, scientific advances have turned the process of aging and dying into medical experiences to be managed by healthcare professionals. So it's become very much a medical problem, and and that you know the, the medicine and the 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 medical advances have worked wonders for people's lives. But there's a limitation that he points out throughout this book. But first, he starts with you have to accept the fact that a, a period of frailty is coming, where there are so many health challenges that you start to have to ask: not only do we n- not solve all of them, do we solve any of them? And he points out there were different models of dealing with this throughout history. His own grandfather lived to be almost 110 years old, and up until his last day, he was up on a horse in India going around many acres of property and checking it out and doing all the the, the work that one does when you have that kind of land. Now, here in the United States, that would be absurd because we look at very clinically at things like activities of daily living. We look at risk much, much differently. We look at, you know, if you if he falls off that horse, you know, we, we want to eliminate that risk. But of course, taking that away from his grandfather would have taken away everything that, that kept his grandfather full of vitality and full of purpose. Um, you know, but, the, but he points out how frailty develops. And just to, to give one interesting tidbit from the book, Being Mortal... He says the brain at the age of 30 barely fits inside the skull. By the time you're 80, there's almost an inch to spare. And that's why older people, if they bump their head, are more prone to cerebral hemorrhages, brain bleeds, because, you know, the brain is going to bounce around. He points out things like when when he, as a surgeon, puts his hands into the chest of an older person, the heart, the aorta, will actually feel kind of crunchy because of the calcification that happens in our vascular system, the buildup of of really kind of the same material that makes up your bones. Your processing speed in your brain starts to slow down. It's just a natural part of growing older. So, you know, this is is so interesting, and people want to look for causes. And, you know, you think, well, I, and I hear this all the time at Keystone Elder Law when people are talking to me and they're, they're thinking about the years ahead and how they should be planning holistically, not just having a will. Uh, I do recommend that. Not just having a power of attorney. I highly recommend that. Uh, but, but thinking, what are the care needs going to be? And they'll say to me, well, you know, my mother lived until she was 97. Well, according to Dr. Gwande in Being Mortal, genetics has very little to do with longevity. So if you look at, for example, how tall you are, genetics, genetics explains about, oh, 90% of that. You know, you're, you're as tall as you are because, or as short as you are because of the height of your parents. 90% influence of genetics. Only 3% uh, is the influence of genetics on your longevity. So, you know, and to drive home the point, they do these genetic studies involving um, identical twins. The typical gap between one identical twin passing away and the other one passing away is 15 years. 
you know, you would think if genetics played a huge role, they would pass away at roughly uh, the same time or close in time. So this, this sort of gets to the point that the systems of our body fail sort of randomly and gradually. Uh, and we tend to have backup systems. Dr. Gwande notes, hey, we have an extra kidney, we have an extra lung, we have extra teeth. Uh, even when you think about whether your hair is turning gray, and I'm looking at myself on this one, it's because the pigment cells have backups in the form of uh, stem cells underneath the skin. And, and when the pigment runs out, uh, which happens apparently every few years, well, the stem cells form more pigment cells. And it, that just keeps happening. When your hair turns gray, it's because this, you're out of stem cells to replace pigment. And so there's no more pigment in your hair. But the body is full of these redundancies, like any good engineer would want, you know, a backup plan and then a backup to the backup. But the prevailing theory among people who study geriatrics is that gradually over time, wear and tear happens and things just fall apart. And it's just fascinating to hear that a trained surgeon is looking for some sort of mechanical solution. And when these things happen, uh, he's not finding them. There are multiple system failures happening with older adults. More fascinating is when he uh, shares, by the way, um, he sits in with a geriatric doctor and, you know, a patient might have potentially metastatic cancer. They have a bad back. They have, uh, you know, one problem after another. And in his mind, the surgeon, he's wondering, how do you even prioritize this? What would be a successful conclusion to the meeting with this patient? And, you know, the geriatric uh, doctor surprises him by saying, always check the feet because that's going to tell you an awful lot about a whole bunch of other things. And, you know, this is, there is the demographics, even in Pennsylvania, in the next six years, the population of people aged 85 or older is going to double. So where are the specialists who focus on uh, geriatric care? Well, according to Dr. Gawande, very few medical students want to go into geriatrics, despite these booming demographic changes. And the reason why uh, they want to they want to have a feeling of competence. They want to be able to spot a problem and fix it, you know. And and it's it's just so much more nuanced. Uh, not to mention uh, what it pays. I I can uh, compare this to in law school. They they are very good at shuttling people off to the large law firms where you're representing Microsoft and litigation or uh, corporate transactions. Not so much in, in creating elder law attorneys, despite the uh, growing need for them, uh, because the money's just not there. Well, more on this, because these are reflections on why we do what we do and the way to look at your planning and your future, all through the lens of Dr. Gawande in Being Mortal. We'll be back in a moment on the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm your host, Patrick Cauley. I'm the owner of Keystone Elder Law, and today I'm discussing the book Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. It's a it's a, really a classic. It's it, some have called it mandatory reading for all Americans. And before the break, I was talking about this surgeon's reflections on frailty, things falling apart, a very different approach taken by geriatric medicine specialists and yet very few um, 
aspiring doctors in medical schools want to become geriatric medicine specialists. We had one of them on on this show, uh, Dr. Rollin Wright from uh, Penn State Hershey Medical Center, and she just does amazing work, especially in the realm of cognitive decline. Um, and I, but we need more Rollin Wrights. We we need more uh, geriatric specialists. And with the booming demographics, some believe it's in some respects too late because it takes time to train somebody to have the eye that a geriatric medicine specialist has. But uh, you know, one thing that we look out for is, for example. Each year, hundreds of thousands of Americans have accidental falls. Why does that happen? We've touched on this a little bit with guests previously on this show. Poor balance is one, which is related to the second, which is muscle weakness. So people not exercising or sitting too much, especially after they uh, retire, they they hit the, the recliner and, and muscles atrophy and you're losing muscle mass anyway. Uh, as you get older, that's one major contributor. But also, if you are taking more than four prescription medications, that's going to have an impact on your sense of balance and and how clearly you are thinking. And if you have poor balance, poor muscle uh, mass, muscle muscle weakness, and you're taking four uh, or more prescription medications, Dr. Gwande says the studies show your chances of having an accidental fall are pretty close to 100%. So, what does that mean? Because when all of these people are having accidental falls, 40% end up in a nursing home and 20% of these having falls never walk again. So, you know, this is exactly why at Keystone Elder Law, I'm telling people that it's not just about having a will. You have to plan for incapacity. And with nursing home care or other higher levels of care, there's going to be certain expenses that, that come along. Is it going to wipe out everything that your your you and your spouse, you and your family spent decades saving? That's our major concern. And that's you know one of the webinars I offer if you go to KeystoneElderLaw.com and use the workshops tab is called uh, Middle Class Estate Planning and Asset Protection. And the other one goes much deeper into how you pay for these higher levels of care. But that's just falls. That doesn't even get to the people who will have dementia. And if you've heard uh, any other show, uh, episode of this show, you've heard me say one in three people will have dementia in the later years of life. So that's a whole other group of people who are ending up in higher levels of care. So anyway, we have specialists in medicine who look at this and, you know, one one university did a study where they, they assigned 568 men and women over the age of 70 who had risk factors for chronic health problems. They assigned them to, to uh, two groups. One group kept seeing their regular physician. The other group saw a geriatric specialist. 18 months later, the ones who were seeing a geriatric specialist were 40% less likely to need home health services. So that's a pretty dramatic difference. We're talking about independence. We're talking about maintaining your function and your dignity. What did the university do after that report came out? It shut down the Department of Geriatrics. Why? Because when you get into things like heart surgery, the the gizmos like heart stents that they use, those are great and they do save a lot of lives, but they're also money makers. Compare that to the doctor who basically is looking at, are you eating enough protein to keep up your strength so you're not falling and then ending up in the nursing home? 
are you taking your medications and are they interacting with each other in a way that's not good for your general well-being, uh, affecting balance, affecting your hydration? That That's a, an amazing service that geriatric medicine provides, but it doesn't pay as well. And as I've said, I mean, the, there are equivalents in the law and I'm sure in, in other professions, but you know, you ha- you go into this knowing there's a big pay differential, but knowing you have a very real uh, ability to impact people's lives for the better. And uh, you know, before coming to the radio station, I I read some of the Google reviews that Keystone Elder Law gets, and boy, does that put wind in my sails. Uh, you know, people just overjoyed that they feel peace of mind um because you know we we've thought about these things accidental falls we've thought about dementia we've thought about all of this and we're planning way down the road not only for incapacity and decision making but for asset protection as well so you know along with this frailty comes a dependence on care and this is something in a country like the United States where we are and in Pennsylvania I think in particular we are very strong, independent people. We value independence. You know, if you turn on the morning show on TV, you're going to see them uh, wishing happy birthday to the the person who's 100. We love to hear the story of the 95-year-old running marathons. I mean, that's that kind of thing is exactly the American ideal. But, you know, there is, for most people a breaking down, a wear and tear of multiple body systems, even the the backup to the backup that we have in place biologically, and eventually there's dependence on care. Now, a number, you know, we, we've kind of come a long way. A, a number of states have looked at their own care systems for people who are getting frail in their later years of life, and going way back, multiple states had reports condemning that really all they had were these filthy places where husbands and wives were separated. They were, some were even made to work. There were rats. There were flies all over the food. But in the modern age, we don't have that anymore. We, you know, The prosperity has allowed for both private and public solutions to emerge. But Dr. Gawande, in Being Mortal, really goes into how have we evolved to do this. Um, and, and keep in mind, in our previous episode, I, I had... Uh, one of the leaders, the the family that started Country Meadows and Providence Place, and even there, they were saying, "Look, this all started out of, you know, a time when in in York County options were you're either at home and one person cares for multiple, uh, maybe neighbors who are in the later years of life, or you go to the county-owned nursing facility." We have so many more wonderful options now. Another guest on the show was. Zeddy Neidig from Legend at Silver Creek, which is a brand new personal care community in Silver Spring Township. And she described the wonderful personal care and memory care in, in, in this gorgeous building, and it has a movie theater in it. I mean, so we've come a long way, but Dr. Gawande in, in Being Mortal still thinks that that there we need to take a hard look at what we're trying to do when we care for people in the later years of life. And my goal, of course, as a as an elder law attorney is to get people thinking about this, uh, whether it involves their legal work or not. But but the legal side of it is is more who can make the decisions. How are we going to protect money? So what what if you have a healthy spouse and, and you suddenly have this expensive level of care? We want to make sure that that spouse is protected. 
Uh, these are the kinds of things that go through the mind of an elder law attorney. But so we've come a long way, um, and it's you know really what this comes down to is when when we have nursing home care where we are very closely watching a resident's diet, watching every movement that they make. That's what causes uh, Dr. Gawande a little bit of discomfort because we're doing it. Why? Because the the adult children, the family members, want a feeling of safety and security, and of course they should. You know, if you've been worried about your your elderly mother living alone, you know, you want her to be in a safe place. And Dr. Gawande doesn't argue with that, but he argues that safety and clinical medicine uh, should not uh, should not be. It, it's not an either or. You should also have uh, some attention to what makes life worth living for that person. So he goes through the rise of the nursing home, which really just started as a way to uh, to recognize that people can't stay in hospital beds. We have uh, we have uh, more urgent needs, and but some people need a longer period of nursing care. Uh, you know, he quotes a doctor and writer uh, in Boston back in the 1930s who said, look, at that time, uh, it was a pretty new phenomenon that people were being cared for in hospitals even. I mean, doctors would go out and treat you in your bed in your home. So what was the benefit of hospitals? Well, it was a roof over your head. It was regular food. It was really attentive care by kind and compassionate nurses. So that's how hospitals started to take off. And then really, when there were breakthroughs in antibiotics and all these other medications, all of a sudden, medicine and doctors and hospitals, they were the heroes. So Congress started uh, allocating all kinds of money for the construction of hospitals all over this country. They went up like crazy, and it was booming. But that, that, of course, shifted our entire focus to treating people in the later years of life to medicine. More on that when I come back from a break. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. I am speaking today about the book Being Mortal, now 10 years after it came out and made the New York Times bestseller list. I think it continues to be mandatory reading. I think it's so insightful as to what I try to do at Keystone Elder Law, what a lot of other professionals working with uh, people in the second half of life are trying to do. It's because we are we see it all the time. We see this breaking down of systems. We see there are multiple challenges. And, and really, our goal is to make life better holistically for people uh, from a legal perspective. That, that generally means, you know, if... If somebody comes in and we've already done the planning ahead when everyone was healthy, maybe there's a decline in health. Well, we're going to look at a number of options, but priority number one is what's best for your mom? You're telling me that she's she's having these memory problems, she's having falls, uh, you're worried about levels of care, the cost of care. We can address all of that. That's almost the easier question. It's, it's complicated, but it's, it's what we do for a living. But I really want to know, you know, what is best for mom? And that's really the bigger question that Dr. Gwande asks and and shows through wonderful stories of real people in different settings, husbands and wives, and and the the, the older adult uh, who at one point was venerated 
for you know his knowledge that the, the grandfather of Dr. Gwande, in fact, you know the, the the elder that everybody turned to for the answers and the history. Well, you know now they're googling all of that, so that's not so much there. And and answer the world is so rapidly evolving that you know there's all kinds of impacts on older people and how they are viewed. But his main driver in this book, being mortal, is let's look at what makes life worth living. Just because there might be some medical solutions, and these days uh, the pharmaceutical products, the surgical procedures, everything has come so far that there probably is a medical solution for just about every problem, to a point, of course. But the question is, you know, at what risk and, and, and what is it putting the person through in order to get what benefit? These are, these are the kinds of questions he asks, and his stories and his storytelling are just fantastic. And so I highly recommend this book. But it's interesting that, that along the way he talks about the rise of retirement communities. And we, we of course, have those uh, all around south-central Pennsylvania where there's an independent living uh, area where you can have a cottage or an apartment. Then, if safety dictates and you, or memory care requires, you can move up a level, and they call it either assisted living or personal care. And then, if, if you are really debilitated by advanced disease processes or your mobility is just completely gone, you might move up to the highest level of care called skilled nursing. That's generally uh, how it works in the United States and certainly in central Pennsylvania. Well, that let's focus on the, those, the lower level where you might go somewhere called independent living because maybe you have too much house, you can't maintain a house, or you can't do the stairs in the house anymore, or just being left alone is leading to uh, isolation and and loneliness. Of course, has has a terrible impact on your physical health. So there's lots of reasons to seek out uh, a community like that. But interesting that when it started, there was a a, a real estate developer in Arizona uh, who came up with this concept of retirement communities, and he was betting that people wanted to be around peers. You know, people, and we talked about this with Zeddy Nidig when she was on the show uh, from Legend at Silver Creek, how, you know, there's something to connecting with another person where you, you lived through similar experiences. The stories of how much it costs to get this, and this is what we did for entertainment. It, you know, you you can talk to a, a your, your grandchild about this, but they'll look at you astonished and not really understanding that life was like that one time. But you talk to a peer and you have real connection. So... This guy, Webb, thought, well, people are going to really want this. So he started developing these retirement communities with exactly that goal in mind, where everything was done for you. You can make connections with other peers. And a lot of people thought, well, no one's going to go for that. They want to be around younger people. And to be sure, we still today have, you hear the stories of older adults moving to college towns to be around that youthful energy. And so I'm not saying that doesn't happen but there's something to that connection, and of course, Webb was absolutely right and probably extremely wealthy for coming up with that idea and running with it, and it has been replicated all over the place. But that's the lowest level of care. And, you know, again, when you get to the highest level of care, uh, we're at the other extreme, where it's very medical. It probably feels a lot like a hospital. Uh, the the sounds of the place, maybe the smells of the place, are going to be like a hospital. Um, so... There's sort of this continuum of care, and 
I think Gawande's main complaint is that we we prioritize safety. We prioritize, let's focus on, oh, you, you can't have that bag of M&Ms that we see you snuck into the facility because, you know, you do have diabetes. We are trying to control your sugar. And so they take that away and they take away, you know, of course, you're not allowed to smoke in the building. You're not, you know, you're not, not allowed to have happy hour at the higher levels of care because it's going to throw off the medical angle of managing your medication, managing your diet and all of this. And, you know, he talks about at various places where assisted living, uh, so a step up from independent living, when that came about, the idea was, no, we're not going to take away life's little joys. We're going to figure out what makes you tick, what what would make you happiest. And if that means having your cat and occasionally having a cigarette, well, then we're going to let you do that. And now that concept was taken from the uh, person who came up with the idea in Oregon of assisted living, where they actually were able to lock their doors. They had carpet on the floor everywhere. And of course, that drove some advocates nuts that this was unsanitary and all the rest. And it's been taken in a lot of different directions from its original concept. But I think one thing that I would argue against Gawande is, and this book is 10 years old, so, so maybe at the time he was absolutely right. I think that there are providers of care services in the later years of life who very much prioritize figuring out what makes you tick and catering to that because that's good for your well-being. So while they will watch your diet, they will watch your medication management, they want to know, uh, and, and by the way, one of the most downloaded episodes of this Later in Life Planning show in podcast form uh, featured artists senior living of West Shore over in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania. And uh, they talked about, you know, they knew somebody was a baseball coach. And so they were going to set up a diamond, uh, even though this guy had advancing dementia, and they were going to have a baseball game where all the residents would take place. And they described how he was beaming, the look on his face, because the joy came back, the light in his eyes, or the guy who was an avid runner, and they were going to find ways to connect with that runner inside who had early onset dementia. Uh, the, you know, the person who had a talent for arranging flowers, uh, they they set up tables all over a room where all the residents tried their hand at arranging flowers. And this person who was reserved and uh, withdrawn came alive and, and just showed her talents. And, and you know, there was uh, maybe some thought that she had lost all of her memory and, and personality, but it was still there and they brought it out. So... The book's chief complaint about the sort of medicalization of nursing care to the exclusion of all focus on well-being, I don't know that it's 100% accurate. And in fact, the book talks very little about uh, folks who really have advanced dementia. And if that's one in three people, you know, on a long enough timeline, that person, I mean, they're, they're what they always enjoyed. It, it's going to be harder and harder to bring that out and to add to well-being and and really you are tending to medication and food and uh, eating enough protein and things like that. But I do want to hasten to add that Gawande may have missed the mark, at least as it stands today, 10 years later. It's not 100% accurate that there aren't places trying to do that. Um, But, you know, obviously the goal should be more than just freeing up hospital beds uh, for more urgent needs, uh, or or taking the burden off of adult children who are ill-equipped to provide the care that is needed. Uh, but that's an interesting uh, th- story as well because he 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 focuses on 
um, you know, the, the, the adult child, somebody I see at Keystone Elder Law all the time, and he features one particular daughter who, along with her husband and her children, welcome her father into their home because he keeps falling and they want him to be safe and they set up a first floor bedroom for him. But then, you know, she ends up being his chauffeur to doctor appointments. She ends up, uh, you know, managing his medication. He's got some quirks in his personality. He's been the master of his home. And now uh, it's like his daughter is kind of his mother in a way. And of course, she's still working and trying to raise her own children. This is the so-called sandwich generation, and we're seeing an awful lot of that where uh, the adult children come into meetings at Keystone Elder Law about their parents, which I love to see. Uh, I love to hear where they are because it can really lead to some frayed ends of the nerves, uh, you know, as you're in, in emotionally trying times as you're trying to manage all of these responsibilities. But what's the alternative? These places where Dr. Gwande says, you know, there's this risk of losing what makes your life worth living. More on all of this when we come back from a break. This is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, and I'm discussing today a book that's 10 years old but was a New York Times bestseller when it came out and I think continues to be uh, such an insightful source of, uh, I guess, stories and observations that I'm not doing it justice about the later years of life, that this acceptance that things do start to break down. People are living much longer than, than they used to live, but now we have a, a web of interconnected problems related to frailty. And, and so then how do we deal with it? And throughout being mortal, Dr. Gawande talks about various options. And, and by the way, I'm really only touching on about half the book and even there not going into much detail. I really think it's worth wading through yourself. It's an easy read. It's, it, you delight in his storytelling uh, but along the way, he's looking at, at what are the options when you have somebody who can no longer be as independent as they were because systems of the body are breaking down, they're falling, they're losing their memory, they're, uh, they need other people. And he looks at the, the old multi-generational approach that his grandfather had uh, where multiple generations are living under one roof. Everybody sort of uh, helps each other. The children benefit from the the wisdom and the stories and the the mentoring of the older adult. The older adult uh, has physical assistance uh, with important tasks of daily living from the younger folks. Uh, that's one option, of course, and, and it still does happen. And his story of the daughter trying to uh, care for her father, uh, it ultimately ended with, with a, a placement in assisted living and you know, that came with its own pros and cons. And and that's what Dr. Gawande is doing in this book. He's wrestling with the options to give not only the life-saving security and safety that an older adult needs when the when their health is precarious, when when their balance is precarious, but also providing for what makes that person uh, live a, a life worth living. So 
you know, it's a, it's a struggle and there are pros and cons. And, and I, I, you know, give a bit of a spoiler alert at, by the end of the, the book, he doesn't provide any clear answer. I think what he's encouraging is for everyone, but especially people who are in the business of providing care to focus uh, not on the, the medical side to the exclusion of the, the efforts to really figure out what is, a, what is the best life for you. Uh, because, of course, you could be hearing this and you could be saying, well, is he saying, should we, should we throw in the towel when, when it gets uh, unbearable? When, and, and he's not. In fact, he's critical of uh, places like the Netherlands that have focused more on uh, assistance in dying to the exclusion of palliative care, where they, they they address symptoms of suffering. They're not trying necessarily to help you live longer, but they're taking away some of the um, some of the struggle out of it or, or the pain and suffering. Um, he thinks that no palliative care is the way to go, but but always with the the question of what's the best way to enable well-being and not just safety. Let's keep the heart. Uh, uh, beating. Let's keep the person from falling. Let's make sure nutrients get into their bodies. Uh, he wants to do better than that. He wants to focus on well-being. So, you know, along the way, um, he 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 talks about though some surprising findings. He he does find for all of this, for all of these struggles, that studies have attempted to uh, capture. You know what is in in really in clever ways where they would, for example, uh, have a beeper, and every so often you get a beep. You write down uh, in a few words the emotions you're feeling, and they had people of various ages doing this for a number of years. It was a long study, and and what became clear that despite all of the the the, the physical breakdown, the the level of dependence that might emerge, on the whole, people report more positive emotions as they age than when they were younger. So, you know, old age may narrow the range of life activities, but but Dr. Gwande uh, quotes a Stanford professor who's really a leader on this. Uh, her name is Laura Car- Karstensen, and uh, Professor Karstensen says, how we spend our time may depend on how much time we perceive ourselves to have, meaning uh, and this is this was really studied in some clever ways described in the book. But if you think you have a shorter time horizon ahead of you, you know you're not focusing on worrying about the stresses of the day. You're not worried about even investing time in in learning new skills or uh, you know building something. You 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 buckle down. You focus on the people who mean the most to you. Uh, you you focus on what matters the most to you. It's really it it brings into high relief uh, what really matters to you in your life. And if you think you have a long horizon, well, you're going to take some more chances. You're going to maybe take some time away from the things most important to you to invest in building a better future. And this might seem commonsensical, but they came up with some very clever ways to show uh, even for younger people if. For example, in a major pandemic in history or or uh, major political upheaval, they perceived a short timeline, and so their entire psychology of what they should be doing with their time changed. Uh, so it was really a, an interesting series of studies that Dr. Gwande describes in Being Mortal. Um, but you know, we've talked about how he 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 looks at the emergence of independent living retirement communities, how assisted living came about and what the idea of it really was. 
that, that we focus so much on the assistant part of it in care where we're going to make sure you're there, you're not falling, you're not eating anything that would uh, throw off your blood sugar, even if it brings you joy. But that's the assistant part. What about the living part? And that was really a push that he continues to encourage. And and he kind of tells some interesting, uh, I guess, outliers where, for example, the story of Dr. Bill Thomas, who's just this regular guy, blue-collar background in upstate New York, um, happened to go to Harvard Medical School. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy who used to have a lot of farmland, and he believes so strongly in filling nursing homes with life, you know, so it's not just uh, uh, attending to the medical needs. And so what did Dr. Bill Thomas do? He brought in animals, first of all. There were plants and then eventually children playing various roles, but he brought in dogs, cats, parakeets. He, uh, there were rabbits. There were egg-laying hens. And this was all in the, I mean, can you imagine, in the halls of a, of a nursing home. Now, he had to actually go and get uh, waivers from the state where this was being done because this would be uh, unheard of um, in most places. But, you know, he, the, why did he do this? Because Dr. Bill Thomas believed that the three greatest causes of death in a skilled nursing facility were boredom, loneliness, and helplessness. Boredom, loneliness, and helplessness. So, you know, he had people who weren't able to speak, and they started speaking because they wanted to take one of the dogs for a walk. There were people who were withdrawn, seemingly non-ambulatory, and they started, you know, getting up and walking around so that the birds had their food and the, the cats were attended to. The light came back on in their eyes. So one interesting uh, result of this experiment that Dr. Bill Thomas did was the number of prescriptions uh, for, for, for each patient went down by half, especially the, the psychotropic medications, you know, for, for uh, a sense of happiness, uh, avoiding despondency. Those all went down. Drug costs for the facility fell significantly. And that's when you really get people's attention uh, who are decision makers is when you make their costs go down. So... You know, Bill Thomas did this because he he believed that um, the you know the re- the residents had to have a reason to live. And what he found was instead of that boredom, the animals offered more spontaneity in the facility. Instead of loneliness, they offered companionship. And instead of helplessness, they offered a chance to take care of another being. So Bill Thomas, uh, quoted and, and, and featured in Being Mortal, uh, gave residents a chance to grab onto something beyond merely existing and taking medications and eating the right foods, all prescribed in a very structural way. Um, and and there's, there's a need for structure. There was a lot of um, advocacy to have the safety standards, the health standards, the nutrition standards, um, but, but I think one of the reason Dr. Guande tells this is to urge maybe those adult children out there, yes, focus on uh, safety and focus on um, uh, doing appropriate medical care, but look for ways to fight boredom. Look for ways to fight loneliness. Look for ways to fight helplessness and provide a purpose and a sense of why the person would want to live in the first place. So I'm going to leave it there with being mortal with my high recommendation that you seek out this book if you've never heard of it. It's it's a great read. It's an insightful read. It's at times a tearjerker um, because these 
insights are brought forth with such talented writing. And if it if it gives you a window into why we do what we do, well, go to KeystoneElderLaw.com, maybe take in some a little more technical education on knowing all of that. Why do we plan the way that we plan? And I hope that it's all very helpful to you. I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, here on News Radio WHP 580.